So 1 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 20, and it's on page 318. Uh, In this reading, uh, the prophet Elijah is speaking the word of God to uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, and under the king Ahab, uh, Israel has turned away from Yahweh, the living God, to worship Baal. And so the prophet Elijah has summoned uh, the prophets of Baal to a challenge on Mount Carmel. So let's pick up at verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh, the God who answers with fire. He is God. All the people answered, That sounds good. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. And maybe he's wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly. They cut themselves with knives and spears, according to their custom, until blood gushed over them. All afternoon, they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and placed it on the wood. He said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said, A second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, A third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. At the time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, 
and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Then Elijah ordered them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let even one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a rainstorm. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go up and look toward the sea. So he went up, looked and said, There's nothing. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. On the seventh time he reported, There's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming from the sea. Then Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. In a little while, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a downpour. So Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. The power of the Lord was on Elijah, and he tucked his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And the second reading tonight comes from James um, 5, chapter, sorry, chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. And it can be found on page 1,112. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, Let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, sir. If you just joined us, we are in a series looking at Old Testament prayers, less about the actual prayer, more about the people who pray the prayers. And so we've looked at Jehoshaphat, you remember that, uh, the man who said, we don't know what to do, but we look to God. And we looked at Hannah, that beautiful woman who just pours out her heart to the Lord. And she just really just weeps as she prays. Uh, And then we looked at Nehemiah, uh, that man who fasted and mourned and prayed. And he prayed those deep theological prayers and those sort of those arrow prayers. And tonight we're looking at a man called Elijah. His name means the Lord is God. It's a great name. We named our third son, Elijah. Uh, He's a great man of prayer. Uh, And on this series, I want to start by reminding you that the reason we're preaching on these prayers is not so that you feel guilty. Please, please, please don't think we're trying to guilt you into saying how bad our prayer lives are. The aim of these sermons is to show you that you can pray. That it's an easy thing just to talk to God 
anytime, anywhere, God loves to hear you to pray. So I'm going to do that now, and then we're going to look at Elijah, the man of prayer. Father, we thank you that you do speak. We thank you that you listen. We thank you, Lord, that you long to hear us just talk to you. Uh, We pray now that as your word goes out, as you promised, it wouldn't return empty, but your spirit would do a powerful work in in this place. Pray we would hear your voice tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. So please turn back to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18. And we'll look at this, uh, this great man called Elijah. On the screen is a man called J.C. Ryle. He's a man who loved to pray. As an encouragement, he said this, uh, Prayer in the, is the simplest of acts. It's just speaking to God. Uh, prayer needs neither learning nor wisdom nor book knowledge to begin it. It needs nothing but heart and will. No time is so well spent in your day as that which you spend on your knees before your heavenly father. Our prayers may be weak, stammering, and poor in our eyes. But if they come from the right heart, God understands them and such prayers are his delight. It's not encouraging, it's just saying you don't need to have the right words and the fancy jargon It's less about sort of what you say, it's your attitude. If your heart's in the right place and you're just talking to God, God understands and God delights in that. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, let your thoughts be psalms, your prayers incense and your breath praise. Prayer is the breath of faith. Isn't that a great phrase? Prayer is the breath of faith. What he's saying there is that if you're here tonight and you love Jesus, you claim to be a believer, you claim to have faith, then prayer is just like breathing. You just talk to God anytime, anyplace, anywhere. It has struck me, you know, that, that I think we're good at praying in church. But you know when you, you walk down the street and you're, you're doing the shopping and you're in your workplace or you're at the gym or you're at the bar or wherever you are, you can just talk to God. It's just like breathing. If you claim to believe, we should be people of prayer. Uh, one of my favorite books in the New Testament is, is a letter to James. Uh, James, here's a picture of him. His nickname, not, not a, a pleasant nickname, his nickname was, was Camel Knees. And his name was Camel Knees because his knees were covered in calluses. And he didn't have a skin problem. The calluses were formed by the amount of time that he spent on his knees talking to God. Wouldn't it be great if our knees were covered in calluses as a reflection of the time that we spend talking to our God? And if you read the letter to James, he says, look, just pray. Pray when you're sick. If you're sick, pray. If you're happy, praise. If you're tempted, pray. If you need wisdom, pray. If you're concerned about the future, pray. And James has got this attitude of whatever's going on in your life, you can talk to God about it, you know. You can just pray. And the verse we just read is a great verse. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. If you're here tonight and you are righteous, that is, you are in right relationship with God, you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you can pray. And it's powerful to pray. Let me say what that verse is not saying. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. 
That verse is not saying that if you're righteous enough, God will give you what you want. It is not saying that the more godly you are and the more obedient to God you are, then God will answer all your prayers and give you what you want. That's a wrong reading of that verse. Now that is really important, especially when it's in the context of suffering. James just said, if you're sick, pray. And it would be wrong to say that if you pray when you're sick and God doesn't heal you, then somehow you're not righteous enough. And somehow you're not godly enough. That's a wrong interpretation of James chapter 5. What James 5 is saying is that if you are righteous, if you have a relationship with God, then then you can pray. And that is so powerful. What what is more powerful in this world than just the ability to, to, to talk to your heavenly father? And the example that he gives you is this man called Elijah, who we're going to meet tonight. Now, when, when you, can you go back to that verse, uh, Liz? Uh, when, when you read the story of Elijah, uh, you can read it in 1 Kings 16 to 19. He has an incredible life. Like, he, he's fed by the ravens. He witnesses this amazing widow whose flower and all never, never uh, dries up. He heals and raises a widow's son back to life again. Uh, he's just in this, this conquest between the God of bars and the God of heaven. He's an athlete who outruns the chariot of Ahab. He's an incredible man. But the important thing in this verse is Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And what that is saying is that Elijah is not just this sort of superhuman. He's just a man. Now, he doubted. He questioned he got discouraged. Read 1 Kings 19. He's kind of got, he kind of says to God, God, I've had enough. You're not listening to me, God. He's just a normal man, but he believed in a powerful God, and so he prayed. And so the story of Elijah is less about Elijah and more about the God that he believed in. And when it comes to prayer, it's less about you and more about the God that you claim to believe in. And so my point is really simple tonight point is this, that Elijah believed in God, so he prayed. And you're going, is that it, Paul? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Elijah really believed in God. He really did believe in God. And so he actually bothered to talk to God. Let's find out what he believed. Number one, Elijah believed in the presence of God. Elijah really believed that he could come to God, he had access to God, he had access to the throne of heaven, and he could talk to God at any time. Now look at 1 Kings 18 verse 30. 1 Kings 18 verse 30 says, Elijah said to all the people, come near. So all the people approached him, and then, then Elijah repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. And he took 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. In verse 32, he used those stones to build an altar in the name of Yahweh. You're thinking, what's that about? Uh, the first thing that Elijah does in the presence of God's people is to restore God's altar. See, with, if, if there was no altar, they could offer no sacrifice. If they could offer no sacrifice, there could be no forgiveness. If there was no forgiveness they could not come into the presence of a holy God. And so God's people living without an altar are basically saying, I can't be bothered to go to the presence of God. I don't need God. 
And so the first thing that Elijah does was restore the altar, repair the altar, so that he could have access to the holy God and enter the throne room of God. It's amazing, isn't it? Elijah really believed that he had access into the presence of a holy God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that sitting here tonight, you can come into the presence of the all-knowing, omnipotent, holy God? There's no altar here, is there? This is not an altar. There's no altar in this church. You don't need to offer a sacrifice to enter the presence of God, do you? Uh, Hebrews tells us that you can enter the throne room of heaven, the throne of grace, with boldness. Why? Because the, the blood of Jesus was spilled for you once and for all time. Once and for all time, Jesus sacrificed himself and, and the, the curtain was torn in two so that you have access into the presence of God. It, it, that, that is so important because it doesn't matter where you are and how you're feeling. You don't need a priest, you've got the Lord Jesus. You don't need a church, you've got the Lord Jesus. Uh, You don't need friends, you've got the Lord Jesus. You can talk to God anytime, anyplace, anywhere, and he listens to you. He really does. I love what President Obama said last week. He was talking about his daughters, Malia and Sasha. And someone was asking about what life was like for them in, in the White House. He said, said, I just wanted my daughters to know that they could talk to me at any time. And I was there for them. Isn't that beautiful? The President of the United States wanted his children to know that they could talk to him at any time. Isn't that what God says to you tonight? If you're anxious, pray. If you're lonely, pray. If you're fearful, pray. If you're joyful, pray. You could talk to God anytime, any place, anywhere because of the blood of Jesus. And the, the, the sarcasm and the irony and the humor in this text is wonderful. You've got God's people in verses 26 to 29 and, and they're worshiping these false gods, the gods of the Baals. See irony in verse 26? And they're praying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. And they danced and hobbled around the altar they'd made. And Elijah sarcastically mocked them. He says, shout loudly. Maybe your God is thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. Maybe he's on the road on holidays. Perhaps your God is sleeping and perhaps you'll wake him up. That's the thing about false gods. They can't hear you. They don't respond to you. But you don't need to badger God. You don't need to shout loudly to God to get his attention. You've got God's ear. Every minute of every day. What what more does God need to do for you to tell you that he wants to listen to you? He shed the blood of his son. He's just there waiting for you to call out to him. So let's pray. I need to ask you, do you believe that you have access to the throne room of grace right now? Do you? If you do, let's talk to him. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are wide open for you. So he believed in the presence of God. He believed in the power of God. 
I love all the drama of this, uh, this story. See the drama, verse 33 onwards. They build the altar and they put a trench around it and, uh, and they, they get this wood and they get the bull and they place the wood on the altar, verse 33, and they fill these four water pots with water. There's gallons and gallons of water and they, they literally drench the whole altar. They drench the sacrifice, they drench the wood. Not once, not twice, but three times. And there's no fire lighters in those days. And the point is that, that if this sacrifice, that if this wood is going to actually set a light, it's going to require a miracle and the power of an almighty God to do that. And what happens? Elijah prays, verses 36 and 37, and then verse 38, Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and licked up the water. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, the water being licked up by the fire, the flames of God. And the irony of this whole episode is that the gods of the Baals are supposed to be the god of fire and the god of thunder and the god of the elements. But they are weak. But our God is powerful, isn't he? His name is Yahweh. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He is the God who can do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. He is able. He is powerful. He has the power to raise the dead. He has the power to divide the Red Sea. He has the power to bring water from a rock. He has the power to do all things. Do you believe that? You know when you read these Old Testament stories, I mean, do you actually believe things, these things happen? Do you actually believe that there was a drenched altar and God miraculously brought fire from it? Do you? When you actually hear stories of, of God parting the Red Sea, do you believe that God has the power to do that? Is your God omnipotent, all-powerful? See, if you try and... You know, confine God or restrain God who have this tiny view of God and his power and he's weak. No wonder you don't pray to him. But if you really believe that the God of heaven is powerful to do all things and more than you even ask him to do, then perhaps you bring your little concerns to him. There's a great question in verse 21. Elijah says, how long will you sort of sit on the fence? If you believe Yahweh is God, follow him. But if you think this false god Baal is God, follow him. It's a, it's a question that you and I all need to answer. Do you really believe that God is God and there is no other? Do you really believe that God is the all-powerful one and there is no other? That God is in control, not Baal. That God is your refuge, not your work. That God is your strength, not your marriage. And God is your rock, not your money. If you really believe that God is the only all-powerful God, you might just pray to him. So Elijah believed in the, the power of God, in the presence of God. He believed in the promises of God. He actually took God at his word. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? When God says something, Elijah said, well, God says it must be true. The promise is there in chapter 18, verse 1. Look at it with me, 18, verse 1. After a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Here's the promise. I will send rain on the surface of the land. That's the promise. That's God's word. And just so you get the context, back in chapter 17, verse 1, God promised he'd send a drought. And he did. So for three and a half years, 
this land has seen no rain. Not a cloud in the sky. And now God has, God has spoken again. And God has said through Elijah, I will send rain. That is God's promise. That's God's word. And so when Elijah prays for rain, what's he really doing? All Elijah is doing is saying, God, this is what you said would happen. Please keep your word. He's just praying in God's promises. Now let me ask you, what, what, what are the promises that God has made to you and to me? He does not promise perfect health. He does not promise total happiness. What has God promised you? He's promised he'd never leave you nor forsake you, hasn't he? You can pray in that promise, can't you? He has promised to give you a peace that passes all understanding. You can pray in that promise, can't you? He has promised that he is your strength when you are weak. He has promised to provide all your needs, not all your wants, but all your needs. And if you filled your prayer life with the word of God, if you so meditated on the promises of God, then perhaps your prayer life will be richer because you'd be praying in the promises of God. When you go home tonight and I would say read the whole Bible, just Google the promises of God. And rather than doing cut and paste, why don't you sit down with an A4 piece of paper and a pen and actually write out the promises of God and start to pray them in. Because then your prayer life might actually be richer because you're actually saying, God, this is what you have promised me. I'm just asking you to keep your word. So Elijah believed in the power of God, in the promises of God, in the presence of God, and in the provision of God. Elijah has seen God provide before. Elijah has seen God provide miraculously this flower and this oil every day for this widow. And so when God says, I will send rain, Elijah takes God at his word and God does provide. I love verse 45. Look at it with me. End of the story. In a little while, the sky grew dark. So Elijah just prayed for rain. Hasn't rained for three and a half years. And then miraculously, verse 45, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind and there was a... A drop of rain? It doesn't say that. It says there's a, a downpour, a deluge, a, a massive storm. And, and what I take that to mean is that when God provides, he provides in abundance. He provides more than you actually ask him to provide. That's the kind of God that you worship. Here's a promise for you, Matthew 6 verse 32. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Why are you anxious about tomorrow? What should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? Because your father knows you need them. He knows what your daily needs are. He does provide your daily bread. He does know. He does care. He does provide. And he provides in abundance. Do you believe that? Let me share a story with you. There's a true story of a, of a, of a, of a man who quits his job, goes to Bible college. Who would do that? Goes to Bible college, he's got four boys. It's not me. He's got four boys. And they're short of cash. They're really struggling financially. And their youngest son is called Tim, and he desperately needs a new shirt. Now, the custom of this family is to, to pray around the dinner table and have a prayer diary. And so they write in this prayer diary a new shirt for Timmy. And mum writes, size seven, specifically. 
I said, let's pray. Dear God, please provide a new shirt for Tim, size 7. Dear God, please provide a new shirt for Tim, size 7. One week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, one month, two months, three months, every night praying for this shirt. And then one day, mum gets a phone call from a Christian man who owns a clothes shop and said, oh, we just had an end of July sale, but we've got excess stock. We've got some excess shirts. Would your family like them? And the mum said, oh, we'd love them. He said, oh, we've only got one size left. It's size seven. And so he comes around with not one shirt, but 12 shirts of size seven. And so at dinner time that night, they're praying, and Timmy said, oh, we must, must pray for my shirt. And mum goes, oh, God's actually answered our prayer. And so the eldest brother comes in with a size seven shirt, and the next brother comes in with a size seven shirt. And before you know it, there's 12 size seven shirts stacked up on the table. Now, what do you think little Tim is doing at this point? He's not doubting the provision of God, is he? Isn't he going, wow, you know, God hears my prayers and God actually answers in abundance. God gave that boy what he needed. Not just what he wanted. Is that the God that you believe in? Who does provide your daily bread, who does provide what you need. And I feel like I'm banging a drum, but the more you actually know this God, the more you believe in this God, the more you will pray. Do you believe a God who is all-powerful, who is present with you, who makes amazing promises to you and does provide? Do you believe that? And why don't we talk to him? How did Elijah pray? Elijah believed in God, so he prayed. How did he pray? Well, firstly, he prayed humbly. See verse 42? The king Ahab is, up the, is, is off eating and drinking, but Elijah, he went up a mountain, at Mount Carmel, and he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. I'll read that again. He bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. He's basically doing this. He's on his knees, and he's doing this. I don't think that's the most comfortable position to pray in, do you? Why do you think he's on his knees with his, his head between his knees? Why is he like that? Because his whole posture really reflects what's going on in his head and his heart. He's saying, you are God and I am not. You're my creator. I'm just a creature. I'm dependent on you, God. I need you, Lord, I need you. It's a picture of humility. And if you read 1 Kings 16 to 19, Elijah spends most of his time bossing people around, telling people what to do and what not to do. But when he comes into the presence of his God, he's not trying to boss God around, is he? You you may spend your whole week bossing people around, but when you come to your God... Please don't try and tell God what to do. Just humbly get on your knees, plead and beg with humility. I love hearing stories of how our queen, the queen of England, the queen of Australia, the one who has amazing power, but she spends time with her God on her knees. He prayed humbly, he prayed specifically, but he named what he wanted very specifically 
Uh, the prayer verses 36 and 37 is it's very brief. It's just 63 words. You don't need long, pretentious, repetitious prayers. Be specific. He says, what I want, God, is fire. So answer me, Lord, verse 37. Answer me. Why? So this people will know that you are God, that you have the power, that you have the authority. He prays specifically for fire. And then down in verse 42, he's praying for rain. He wanted fire to show the power of God. He wanted rain to show the provision of God. See, the thing about Elijah is that he's not wishy-washy. He's not general. And sometimes our prayer lives can be so vague, aren't they? It's a bit like when Rachel sends me out to do the shopping at Woolworths and she, she gives me a shopping list. And she might have on a list apples. Now, I, I like Granny Smiths and she likes Pink Ladies. I can go to Woolies and I can buy six Granny Smith apples and she'll come back and she'll say, well, I wanted 12 pink ladies. I'm like, well, why didn't you say 12 pink ladies? I'd have got you 12 pink ladies. She might write nappies and, and I'll come back with the wrong nappies, the wrong size, or the wrong amount. Be, be specific on the shopping list if you want to get the right things. And what I'm saying is it's not wrong to have a shopping list with God. It's not wrong to have a list of all the things that you're crying out to God for. He wants to hear that. But he wants you to be specific. Let me, let me give you some examples. You know, Lord, bless my family. That's a good prayer to pray, isn't it? But what exactly do you want for your family? Now, for me to say, Lord, you know that Sam is 11 now. And he doesn't know any Christian male 11-year-old. He hasn't got a single Christian male friend in his life. So, Lord, please give Sam an 11-year-old Christian this year to be his buddy. And you know that Nate's starting school next week, and, you know, pray on day one that Nate would find a little buddy who'd be a friend for life, you know. That is specifically praying that the Lord bless my family. How about, God, please help me. It's a great prayer to pray. But what specifically do you want God to help you with? But to get on your knees and say, Lord... Please help me with that 11 a.m. meeting. It's going to be so difficult. And you know the struggle and you know my temptation just to get angry. But please give me humility and help me to speak words of kindness and words of grace into that person's life. Please help me, Lord. And Lord, you know that I've got that, that, that doctor's appointment on Thursday. And you know my anxiety. So please, Lord, help me respond rightly, whatever the outcome. How about God be with me? good prayer but God's already promised to be with you he's promised he'll never leave you what is it you wanted to be with you for Lord please be with me when I have that difficult conversation with my mum this week Lord please be with me when I try to tell the gospel to my unbelieving friends this week be specific not general We've been praying, we do every year, we pray that more and more people would come to know Christ, don't we? We pray for Christianity Explorers starting on the 20th of February. How about we prayed, Lord, I pray that you would bring 50 people to Christianity Explored on that first Monday night. And Lord, I pray there'd be 200 people who come to Christ at Church by the Bridge this year. And I pray there'd be 200 lost souls, one for Jesus this year. Wouldn't that be a great thing to pray? Pray specifically. God knows what you want. It's okay to ask him. 
pray earnestly. That's the word used in James 5. It's a word of urgent prayer. He feels the, the heart of these people, he weeps, he's not indifferent to their plight, he's on his knees, his soul is aching, he's begging and he's pleading for God's people. And then he keeps on praying persistently. So he's praying for rain, verse 43. He prays for rain and says to a servant, go and look towards the sea and the servant comes back and says, nothing there. So he prays again, there's still nothing there. He prays again, there's still nothing there. And seven times Elijah said, go and have a look. And verse 44 tells us on the seventh time, uh, the servant comes back and says, there's a cloud, just a tiny, tiny cloud, as small as a man's hand. And Elijah said, that's it. That's the answer. Get your chariot ready, because the rain is coming. And Elijah doesn't stop praying the first time that God doesn't answer his prayer he prays and prays and prays he does not lose heart I think it's C.S. Lewis who said that sometimes God answers your prayers immediately but most often he takes a while and then sometimes he actually doesn't answer the prayer exactly how you want him to answer it You've got to keep on praying and pray expectantly. Elijah knew the rain was coming because God had promised back in verse 1 that he would send rain. There's a great phrase in verse 41. You probably missed it. God's just brought fire and Elijah turns to King Ahab and says, Go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of a rainstorm. Isn't that unusual? There's a sound of a rainstorm. Really, Elijah? We've had no rain for three and a half years. There's not a cloud in the sky. What do you mean there's a sound of a rainstorm? I I, I don't think that that Elijah heard of some rain 200 kilometers away. So all the rains are coming. The sound of the rainstorm, I think, is in Elijah's heart. Because he actually believes that God will send the rain. The sound of the rainstorm, he says, God has promised it will rain and it will rain. So I'm going to pray, Lord, expectantly and you will answer. And God does. Verse 44, just a a little hint of a cloud, a tiny drop that becomes this downpour. The last thing to say about Elijah was that he actually prayed not for his own glory. I think Elijah will be really embarrassed about the fact that we're talking about how great he is as, as a prayer Elijah prayed so that God would get the glory. And Elijah prayed so that God's people would see that God is God and there is no other. Do you spot that in verse 37? Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. He's saying, Lord, the the answers to my prayers, I want to be used as a witness to your glory. The answers to my prayers, I want to be used so that people would say that God is God and there is no other. Do you ever share your prayer life with people? Do you ever share with your unbelieving friends how God has answered your prayers? I mean, they might not come into church, but you can talk about your prayer life. You know, when I talk to people in the community, I, I, I say, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray for you. No one's ever said no, thank you. you know, when we pray for people, when we share our answer prayer with people, God can use that to point them to Jesus. 
I'll finish with this story. There's a famous missionary called Hudson Taylor. Famous missionary to China. There was a young man who once came to Hudson Taylor and said, look, I want to be a missionary. The problem is I've got no skills. I long to be a missionary, but I, I can't teach well, and I can't speak well, and I can't lead well, and I can't execute well. I really can't do very much. All I can do is pray. And Hudson Taylor said, quote, pray? Can you pray? Can you get hold of God in heaven and can you talk to your Lord in heaven? Can you really pray? What we need more than preachers and more than leaders and executives, we need people who can pray. And so Hudson Taylor sent this man onto the mission field. He didn't teach, he didn't lead a church, he didn't write journals, he just spent time praying. And quote, they tell how they could hear the man's voice in his house as he was on his knees pouring out his soul to God, weeping before the Lord and claiming the lost people for Christ. And the people learned and the people heard and the people listened and they'd pass by that house quietly with hushed voices. And then the day came when people by their multitude flocked to that house and to that man of God who was praying. And they said, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my soul that it might find rest? Would you pray for me that my heart might find ease? Would you pray for my soul to be saved? And that praying man led many to Christ. Isn't that extraordinary? God uses your prayers to save lost souls. I told you it was a really simple sermon tonight. Elijah believed in God, so he prayed. He said Elijah believed in God. He believed that God was powerful. He believed that God was present. He believed that God was provided. He believed in God's promises, and so he just prayed. And maybe our prayerlessness is all down to the fact that we don't have this deep trust and this deep conviction that God is really God. So can I encourage you tonight just to pray. Just talk to him.